you know how you love visiting Pruffs every year, but it's a shame you've never actually been in the competition. But you know, this is why we're jumping on Zoom now to talk to Bill Lambert of the Kennel Club to talk about their new Cyber Crofts, which is in association with ASDA, that gives everyone and every pet the opportunity to shout about how much they love them and to win lots of prizes. I'm Anna Webb. Welcome to A Dog's Life. Bill Lambert, welcome back to A Dog's Life. Great to speak to you, Anna. Always a pleasure. Well, it's brilliant. We've known each other for a long time, haven't we, Bill? We have indeed. And of course, we've got lots in common. We we love dogs, of course, and we, we have um, miniature bull terriers in common as well. Yes, I know. No longer a vulnerable British breed. No, they've crept out of the. They, they always hover around. Uh, they've crept out of it over the last couple of years. We have seen, you know, as you're probably aware, lots of breeds have become more popular over the over during the pandemic. There was a huge explosion in the number of people wanting puppies, so um, they have crept out. But they're still. I wouldn't say they're safe yet. Um, they still they still have to have attention paid to them. But yes, they're not one of our more vulnerable breeds at the moment. Yeah, but they're not a dog for all people, are they, Bill? You know, I think this is something that the pandemic perhaps has highlighted with this massive boom in dog ownership, that it is so important to choose the right dog for your experience, your lifestyle and your accommodation. It, it is. You're absolutely right. And, and you probably you're aware that we run an event called Discover Dogs, which is really trying to bring, bring dogs to people so they can actually talk to the breed experts about all the breeds. And it's interesting to me because I listen to lots of the conversations and often the breeders are saying to people, this is not the dog for you because it will do this, it will do that and it doesn't fit into your lifestyle. So it's really so important that people do do that research and find a dog that fits their lifestyle. As you rightly say, I, I often say to people, you don't want a miniature bull terrier. They are quite difficult. They're extremely stubborn. They're not the easiest dog to train. They've got great personalities, but they, they do take some train. They do take some time and effort. Um, but, it, but it's like anything. You put a lot of effort into something, you get a lot, lot of lot of pleasure out of it. Yeah, it's like with anything, isn't it? But, you know, it is so true. But the the recent news from the Kennel Club, I think, is very exciting because you're really highlighting all the joy and all the benefits that when you do get it right with the right dog and you have the time and you understand what having a dog means that maybe you have to sacrifice lions you you know you have to go out in the rain don't you bill but the joys and the benefits to your mental health are massive they are we've just we've just um, come out of mental health awareness week and it, the, the the we did some research to support this and it was amazing that that um, two thirds of people said that they go to their dog first for comfort. And when you think that, you know, we live in, we're social animals, we live with other people, but two thirds of people would go to their animal first, their dog first to get comfort. I think one of the reasons is our dogs aren't judgmental, that they, they will, they will be solid. They will be reliable. They'll always do, uh, they'll always be there for you. They just want to be with you. They're, they're such a big part of our lives and you can, you can talk in confidence to your dog and your dog will listen. They may not be able to help you but they do help your mental mental health because they are they are always there they're solid and reliable and they are they don't as I said they don't they're not judgmental they won't pass comment on you no but they they understand because of their great sense of smell I think and the way that dogs you know read us through facial expressions and body posture you know dogs read us like dogs read dogs <laughs> and so they know if we've got 
saggy shoulders or we come in and we've got frown face and then our cortisol levels might be a bit high and we know from science that dogs smell that so dogs then you know through putting two two and two together you know think oh gosh she's not in a very good mood you know I must try harder to cheer her up you're right. Even little things. My dogs will recognise when I smile at them. They, if, I, if I look at them in the face and smile, they will wag their tails because they know exactly what I'm what I'm thinking. But you're right. They pick up on lots more things than we perhaps do. Of course, they don't have uh, they don't have the same sense of communication. They cannot speak, but they make up for that in, in lots of little ways. And they they read body language rather better than we do. And even things that we we may not even notice that our voice changes when we're annoyed or when we're in a bad mood. But our dogs will pick these things up. So they're really intuitive, you know, with what we're thinking and what we're doing. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And and we've got the statistics there to kind of back that up. I mean, you know, we all know dogs reduce our blood pressure. The science has proved that. Even a dog in a room in an office reduces the workforce's blood pressure, I think. Isn't that right, Bill? It, it is. And, and I don't know whether you've noticed, but I work in London and there's lots more people taking their dogs to work. And I think companies are starting to realise that, that the work, dogs in the office can make the workplace a rather nicer place to work work um and and we, we've always advocated having dogs in office offices um, we do it at the kennel club um and it is a it's nice to have dogs around it just it just helps your own well-being and, and um, but for the in particular individuals if individuals are bonded with their dog giving them the opportunity to bring their dog to, to the office to be part of their lives um and actually it does get you it does mean you have to pop out a couple of times to take the dog out for a walk Actually, that's very good for you. If you don't do that, have that reason, you will be stuck in front of a desk and stuck in front of a computer. And we know that's not good for us. It's not good for many aspects of our health. So yes. there's so many benefits. And I think it's great that some organisations are starting to realise this and embracing it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the tech firms, the new trendy tech firms have kind of been leaders on that. I think Google and Facebook are really, really dog friendly. So irony there, I always think, because I feel technology, I think dogs are an antidote to our obsession with technology at the moment. I'm not sure technology, I think it's going a bit far in my mind, but let's not go there. But dogs, yeah, but on all other aspects as well, you know, it, it's proven dogs release oxytocin when you stroke your own dog, um, which is a very powerful um, happy hormone, endorphin hormone. It's, it's the love drug. It is, <laughs> it, does, it is the it love drug. It does make us feel good, and, and you're right. It does actually promote this. So um, it's just, it is a tangible benefit. I think as dog owners, and, and we've known this long period of time, but it's now now good that the science is actually backing up what we said. And I think that's like a lot of things in life. Things that we poo-poo as, as, you know, quack medicines, for example, for many years, we, we eventually get round to the fact that, that these are actually proven uh, medical um, um, techniques and you know you can use obvious ones for years acupuncture wasn't recognized um you know as a, as a successful treatment of course now it is but even things like um chiropractory that wasn't that wasn't recognized as that was treated as quack medicine so you know it takes us a little time we do recognize these alternative treatments but lots of information now about dogs the, the science is now starting to prove what we've always said about dogs 
yeah, that's it. And it, well, it's like science. I mean, it's like with testing for health in in ourselves and dogs. You know, science. We've got the science now. We've got the MRI scans, great blood tests, and genetic science that you know we're using it to a positive effect. Certainly, certainly with dogs, isn't it, Bill? I think actually, with, with I've said this for many years that dog, dog breeders think rather more about their choices um, when they to talk about mating their dogs because there are lots of health tests available. Um, I don't know too many of my women friends who before they decide to have a baby have all the lots of health tests to make sure that they are compatible with their partner and uh but we do as dog breeders we, we do it routinely we'll check for a whole gamut of tests and it is important because you can then predict the outcomes you're probably aware anna that the um the brachycephalic breeds the the bulldogs french bulldogs and pugs these are dogs that that have really um they really appeal to the public and they've increased in popularity during the pandemic. Now, they those dogs do come, some of them have health challenges because of their flat faces. Well, we, we now have a test available that breeders can do on their breeding animals. It's a it's called it's got a complicated name. It's called the respiratory function grading test. We call it the RFG test for short. Right. It's a way that the specialist vets can actually measure the breathing, measure the breathing capacity of dogs. And of course, if we get people to breed from the ones who breed well then they will have puppies that breathe well and we will actually start to eliminate some of these problems so there is a lot breeders can do but i think we're rather better dog breeders are somewhat better at it than doing the, than the public are and we, yeah and so we should be because we're the ones who control our, the decisions that are made by our dogs yeah no no but that's so funny I hadn't actually thought of that before but um you're actually right it's all about celebrating dogs and and again understanding the history of dogs as well and I know it is the 150th year of the kennel club and I've been lucky enough to go to the exhibition um with Joe Good down at the kennel club which is in Mayfair and just really soak in this 150 years, which, oh, I mean, I can't recommend it enough to anyone listening, you know, because it was like being in heaven. I mean, I've got to go back. I mean, seriously, spending a couple of hours there is simply not long enough, Bill. You might, I might have to camp in the library, I think, because some of the books, I can't wait. Well, we are going to do a podcast, actually, with the amazing Kira. Explain a bit more about that, because it all kind of leads into where we're going anyway in this conversation. But as you rightly say, we, the Kennel Club is now 150 years, which is an awful long time now. I think I've been working for the Kennel Club for some, some considerable time, uh, but it's only 20 years, which is like a blink of an eye. Um, it was The Kennel Club was started, you know, um, by some gentlemen who really just started to look at dog shows, regulate dog shows. But when you think of the range of things we do now, we've come on a long, long way. Um, our, our, the Kennel Club founders had um, really good foresight because they bought premises, which was quite unusual in those days for, for an organisation to buy premises centrally located in, in uh, Mayfair in London. But that was one of the wisest things they could have possibly done because it, it formed the foundations for the Kennel Club to build. They've had home premises for all, all these years. And um, it's, it's really, it means that we've been on a sound financial footing and uh, look, people I don't think realise that, that our biggest activity that we where we earn our money, if you like, is we actually register dogs. We we and people pay to register their dogs to get a pedigree. Um, and of course, we we that 
we take that money and we put it back into dogs in many, many ways. And I think that, that people going along to the exhibition can see some of the history of the Kennel Club, what, how it was formed and see how the, see some of the early breeds and the early founders of the Kennel Club and we'll find out information about the Kennel Club because I think we all know it's there, but a lot of people don't quite know what it stands for and what it does. Exactly. And I think a lot of people have a lot of opinions that aren't really based from fact, you know, but I couldn't believe that the original offices had been bombed in the war, yet totally flattened. Yet the only thing that survived just on one bit of wall was the amazing dog. Explain about that statue that's now in your main foyer. So we have this statue. He's called Forager. Um, he's he's um is his opinions about what sort of dog he is, but he's he's a bit like a foxhound, so he's that type of a houndy type dog. Um, it's a it's a slightly larger than life size life size bronze statue, um, and it, but it has been it's part of the kennel for many many years. And you're absolutely right, it did survive the bombing, so he has a rather special place in their foyer now, um, and he's very much an important part of the kennel club. But it is he, he represents I think the history of the of the kennel club because he's been around he survived things and like the kennel club survived but you're, you're right i think a lot of people don't really understand what what the kennel club does we of course we're associated with dog breeding and um dog breeding is perceived by some people as, as being a poor activity and i can understand why people might think that because we'll often look at the, the number of dogs that are in rescue that need homes but they're not necessarily there because of breeders they're there because people made bad choices um, and as I as I said at the beginning, we good dog breeders spend an awful lot of time really trying to put people off buying a dog. Uh, they want to make sure that the dog is going to the right home and, and the people. It, it's, I often say to, that um, buying a puppy should be a bit like adopting a child. You'll be asked lots of questions. Are you the right person? Are you going to look after this dog? And of course, if breeders are doing that work, and I'm not suggesting all of them do, but some are better, rather better than others. But if breeders do that work and they're very select about where their puppies go and the buyers do their homework and find out what breeds are right for them then the chances of those, those dogs being rehomed or needing to be rehomed later in life is of course much more reduced so it is and it, it's you know it's the, the dogs that end up in rescue it's not their fault it's they are there because of the fault of someone else of someone who's made a choice when they either bought a dog or they've made a bad choice when they're when they're um when a breeder sold the dog so it is but it, it breed dog responsible breeding good dog breeding is a really positive pursuit because they bring you so much pleasure um you know and if you get it right you're you're a breeder will sell a dog to to a person who's going to have all that joy of raising the dog from a, from the time it's a puppy bringing up as part of their family it's going to live in your house for 10 12 15 years um, and it's going to be a central part of your family and that is a, a great uh, thing for people to do i know that there's some of the puppies that i've sold to people over the years have brought them great pleasure and it's really been a life changing for them Yes, no, I, I I agree. I mean, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think where it's all going wrong for me is this, you know, inability to stop puppy farms, you know, mainly in the Republic of Ireland, that, you know, these puppies get shipped over, they're sickly, they're badly bred, they're raised in horrific conditions. And then, you know, now more and more, sadly, since the pandemic, it seems to me people actually think it's right to buy a dog on the internet. And that, for me, is where it's all going totally wrong and more than ever. 
Well, we saw, we did see through the pandemic that the, the the demand for puppies outstripped the supply. You you really couldn't get a dog for love or money. All the dogs' homes were empty. They they they, they had all their dogs left their homes because there was such a demand. And, and then, of course, what happened is you suddenly saw a rise in the dogs being imported into the country. Now, you're right. You, you're right to point to Ireland because that has, has been traditionally a big source of, of uh, puppies into the UK. But we saw other countries, Romania, Eastern European countries, suddenly dogs were coming in from there. And of course, these are dogs coming in from countries that don't have the animal welfare laws that we have. So the chances are these animals have been raised in much poorer conditions. They haven't been socialised properly. They haven't been reared properly. They have a huge risk of having infections and bringing diseases. And then, of course, there's a number of zoonotic diseases. These are diseases that transfer from people to, from animals to people. That diseases that weren't common in the UK, but are becoming more common now. And this is largely down to people carelessly importing. Now, you can import dogs, you can do it well, but it's quite a complex and difficult process. And it's not, it's very rarely that it's actually necessary to import dogs. Some breeders will to increase the genetic diversity of, of a breed, but actually, um, dogs that are coming from overseas are likely to have a whole load of other problems as well. So it's not something I would certainly advise. No, we, we discussed with uh, Dominic Dyer, because he has a Romanian rescue, about, hang on, do I pronounce this right? Lysmosis? Lishmania. <laughs> <laughs> yes well it's 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 um i think yeah it, and that is zoonotic and a woman contracted it from uh it affects breeding bitches and um a woman in england got it she was cured with antibiotics but sadly all four of her romanian rescues had to be euthanized mm. for risk of spreading it within the local community you see so and and that is something you know idiosyncratic to romania so, yes, what you say is is so true. You know, you've got to research and visit the breeder, talk to them, make friends with them and prove to them that you are worthy. Because, you know, it's not a right to have a dog. It's a privilege. I, I, I totally agree with you, Anna. It, it, it is a privilege. And some people would say it's too easy to get a dog. There's, there's a balance there, of course, because if you make it too difficult to buy a dog, they'll then open, you'll push it up by uh, purchasing a dog with a whole dog market underground. We know that dogs bring so much pleasure to people's lives. So I'm always very cagey about suggesting restrictions on um, on buying dogs. But I think we all have a part to play in educating because, you know, there's, there's, there's no animal welfare um, agency who disagrees with the very principle of, of getting a dog that's right for you and getting a dog that fits into your family and getting a dog under good circumstances. So, but we we all give slightly different messages to to the people. I think we need a bit more of a joined up approach because we are all on the same side. And it's it's these these are really the important decisions that make that, that are going to change people's lives and also change the lives of our dogs. So it is something I think we need to work more closely together to actually promote these positive messages. Dog ownership it is a privilege, um, and I, but I don't want to see it made too difficult for people. I, I think dog ownership. One thing that's come out of the, dog, the pandemic is that with more people working from home, 
then it has actually opened up the opportunities for people for more people to have dogs now providing those people made the right decision and thought through what would happen if they have to go back to work etc then it's fine but of course we are a little bit concerned that some people didn't think it through and we know that the, the relinquishments of dogs homes have gone up over recent months and we think it's, it's partly to do with that with those people making those wrong decisions during the pandemic yeah, maybe people thinking, well, this was fun during the pandemic, but now, you know, I can live my life. I want to fly. I want to travel again. And, you know, I'm tied because a dog is a commitment. They do kind of tie you down you as well. They are they are a tie. They're, they're, I, I often call them my nuisance factor. They are the reason I get out of bed in the morning. You know? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I can't have a lay in. I've got to. I've got to go and walk my dogs, and um, I've got to provide for them. But actually, that's a good thing. I think it, it's good. It, it gives me a, a reason to get out. It, a great way of meeting people as well. You know, I, people always talk to you if you've got a dog. Yeah, um, they'll sometimes talk to my dog rather than talk to me. Well, exactly. No, of course you make friends, but that's going back to the mental health aspect. You know, and getting you outside. You know, and not stuck to your your smartphone. You know, and taking in nature and these simple things that you and I, I think, probably just take for granted because we do it a lot. But I. You know, I think people are, are you know, are recognising that. So, you know, but you've teamed up with Asda, I think, have you not, Bill? Yes, that's right. Yes, right. We've, we've, we've got a partnership with Asda at the moment, and it is to promote, um, you know, responsible ownership, but it's also really reaching out to the public. We've, we've got a pet competition. It's not, this is not just restricted to dogs. It's actually for all, all animals. So it's really to engage with pet owners to try and introduce them to, to some of the things that we and Asda can, are doing as companies together. Um, it's, a, it's a joint partnership. And we come from it from different, different backgrounds, if you think about it, because as to have a huge reach into the public market, they've got you know thousands of customers going in who may not understand quite as much about dogs. So we're trying to get people to visit our website. They can learn about responsible dog ownership, learn about feeding their dogs. Um, but there is a great competition. There's a, there's a number of competitions over the over the uh, coming months. It's, it's going to be effectively. It's almost like um, I would say it's an online Crufts, if you like, but for all pets, not just for dogs. So I would urge people to go and look at the look at the Crufts website. And go and look at the ASDA website because you can find out lots of information about it. Um, a lot of the ASDA stores have now got a Crufts aisle so they can actually see some of the products that, that are actually available for dogs. So uh, we're quite excited about it. It's the first time we've partnered with a major supermarket chain this way. And I think we, we're coming at it. We, we really, we as, we as an organisation love dogs, but ASDA do too. And, and we're very keen to work together on this. Oh, no, that's brilliant. Well, you know, it's the main source of buying food and accessories for people. And, you know, I think that's uh, it makes sense. It, it does make sense. But I like the idea it's open for all pets, which makes me wonder, does do cats have a have a? Cattery Kennel. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a couple of organisations, actually. They, they, there's an equivalent of the Kennel Club. There's the Governing Council of the of the Cat Fancy, which is the oldest and more established one. But there's the other organisations now. There's another organisation called Ticker. But they do they do this very similar things that we do. Of course, because cat ownership is slightly different than dog ownership in the UK. Um, in the UK, we have a large number of, of recognised breeds. In With cats, there's less so. There are pedigrees. Recognised breeds, and in fact, I have a couple myself. I've got two Burmese cats that live with my with my bull terriers. Now, I chose them because they have particular characteristics. They are 
actually very dog-like, quite frankly. And, are and, they? Are they? Really? They, yeah. they really are. They 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 will even retrieve balls and things. So they are, and that's the reason I chose them. But of course, the vast majority of cats are, if they were, if they were dog, we, we, we call them moggies, affectionately we call them moggies. Um, they're of unknown parentage often. And of course, you do have, you know, cats will go and breed naturally in the wild you've got stray cats and feral cats that are often a source of of, of the new kittens coming on and it's why one of the important reasons why one of the reasons people are often persuaded to spay their cats because if you have a female cat that gets out they can start get they can have own kittens for from the sort of age of uh, four or five months so um they're they're, uh, they're not quite like dogs that we tend to keep more contained cats tend to be free free running and so um there are but there there are the point i'm trying to make is there are uh, it's slightly different in there are far more um general cats that are are moggies and of unknown breeds um and that's that forms the vast majority the pedigree breeds are far fewer in terms of cats in the uk um so it's, it's a slightly different area but we all have the same problems and um it's good with the i know that the organizations that the cat organizations who perform the same functions as a kennel club have exactly the same interests that we do in, in promoting responsible breeding and also um promote, promoting you know the breeding of healthy animals yeah, yeah, no, no. One of my best friends, actually, um, a name checker, Caroline Brill, is mad about the Siamese. She calls them Hermeses. And interestingly, she's just brought on a rescue mini Daxhound, okay, which is great. That's integrated really well with her Siamese because they're they're interesting, aren't they? You see, I find cats fascinating. I've got a cat, Gremlin, who moved in with me and Molly, you know, my first miniature bull terrier, extraordinary, because Gremlin has got balls, I'll say that word. And um, <laughs> that's what Moles loved about him, you know. Um, it was an extraordinary friendship. And you get awfully attached to them because I think they are free spirits. In a way, it's not that we keep our dogs in prison, that is completely the wrong word, but you don't just let them out anymore. We don't do latchkey dogs. I think we used to in the 1960s. And that's when we got a stray dog problem, which we don't really have anymore, do we, Bill? You know what? You're absolutely right, Anna. I know that I grew up in London um, in, in the sort of late 50s, and early 60s. and I didn't know you were a Londoner. Oh, yes, yes. I was I was born. I'm actually a Cockney by birth. Oh, so, what, yes, Bo Bells? Yes, indeed. So, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm very much in London. I grew up in London and it was you couldn't grow up in London and not come across dogs because there weren't lots of trade trade dogs, stray dogs around. Um, I probably had my sex education lessons from watching dogs mate on the streets. <laughs> it was a commonplace. Really? Now, course, and I think the two things have happened that, that have changed that. I think you've got to say that the 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 rise of the um, popularity of the motor car is one reason because of course you know dogs cannot survive running wild in the way that they did at one time. We didn't have the volume of cars, but the, I have to say the rescue charities have done a great job. We do not have stray dogs as such now. We have abandoned dogs and dogs that are let let to roam, but it's nothing like it was um, when I was young. Now I have to say we we this. This issue of latchkey dogs, this is a common term that was used years ago. 
Um, and it was quite common for people to go to work, to let their dog out during the day. Their dog would go and entertain themselves. And I'll be quite frank with you, they probably had a wonderful life yeah. uh, because they were they were like the cats, the free spirits. And we've got this old, you had this old image of, um, you've seen in cartoons of the dog eat, you know, stealing sausages from the butchers. That, that yeah. did actually happen. And butchers would often feed the stray dogs. They would give the offcuts of meat that they weren't using to dogs. So dogs were part of society in a different way than they were today now of course for the dog's welfare they 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 wouldn't have survived they couldn't survive in modern life in that way and we have a slightly different attitude to them now and and we do um i don't like to use the word prison like you did but we take it they we keep them in a secure environment that's for sure however safe environment yeah yes that's right but but i have to say that does bring with it other issues because we, we tend to keep a lot of our dogs on leads now. So they don't learn natural behavior that they would learn um, when they were running the streets. And it was quite common that dogs learn to behave around each other. Um, they learn from body language. They learn from, you know, dogs, some dogs being dominant, some being dogs being um, submissive. And they they learn this sort of this, what we call a pack mentality. They, they learn their place. They, you know, we talk about pecking order, which really relates to chickens, but it's the same thing with dogs. So dogs don't get the opportunities to to actually develop some of those natural behaviours because we do keep them in a rather unnatural environment these days. Now, that extends to the way that dogs behave around people. Um, again, when I was a child, I was told by my parents very clearly how to behave around dogs. And I had to be told that because I would encounter dogs in everyday life. Just walking to school, I would come across stray dogs. So I was told how to approach them or, you know, not to approach them without speaking to the owner for a start. And you did. I was taught a lot about even dogs' body language by my parents. Well, of course, these days it's completely possible to grow up in an environment never coming across dogs. You, you never have to. And so when people do finally come across a dog for the first time, they often don't know how to behave around them. And I think this is one of the reasons why we're potentially seeing more dog incidents, you know, negative mm -hmm. incidents that we didn't see in the past. Now, I'm not saying dog bites never used to occur. occur. I know as a, as a um, I used to do a paper round and I would get bitten from time to time by dogs um uh you know when I made mistakes often and uh, when dogs so they, they uh, dog bites did occur but I think that we're seeing uh we tend to see we know that dog bite incidents are on the increase and I think there's immediately there is the issue because of the the dogs increase the popularity has increased during the pandemic the, the dogs are far more common now but it is largely I think because we don't educate ourselves enough in the way that we used to do in the way in the way to behave around dogs yeah maybe as well like you say what a dog needs the right exercise interaction proactive play you know the, the channeling their energy appropriately and and not putting them under stress you know where their reaction is fight or flight. I mean, for example, yesterday, I mean, we've got a terrible fox problem in Hackney. I mean, it's reaching. I'm going to write to Hackney Council. It's another story. But yesterday, I, th I was looking for Gremlin, putting my head over the, the fence, you know, shouting Gremlin. You know. And there is the mummy fox who looks so well, Bill. I mean, she's a magnificent creature. And I thought, oh, God, it's you. And then she wanted to come through the cat flap. And so I've got a cat flap in the in the uh, what you call it fence so Grem doesn't have to scale all the time so I banged on the fence anyway she just decided to leap instead but to my horror no god Mr Binks was in the garden oh Bill so Mr Binks my toy terrier who wouldn't stand a chance 
and the vixen avoided me and headed towards Binks. And my heart was in my mouth. I couldn't help Binks at this point. Now, Binks, he chose to flight, thank God, and ran away. Now, if that had been prudence, I don't think the vixen would come back in my garden, but um, she would fight. And I know that. And that's because I know my dogs and I know the breeds and all the rest of it. It's an absolute problem. I mean, Gremlin, he's not a normal cat. And I think it's because he was raised by Molly because he moved in when he was only four months. He has taken on foxes because he's annoyed. They're using my garden as as a thoroughfare, you see, and the den is next door. I poked over my other neighbour's fence, Bill. You think I'm a nosy parker, but I thought, good Lord, it looks like there's a grave in the middle of his garden. <laughs> He's a lovely piano teacher. He wouldn't do that. But it's not a grave. Suddenly I'm looking and then out pops this tiny fox cub. I'm like, I don't believe it. They're next door. So um, that's what I've got going on at the minute. And these foxes, they look well. I mean, they're massive. The closest I've come to foxes this uh, last few months, and they are so now. Binks won't go in the garden. This only happened yesterday. Oh, that's hor- that's a horrible story. Well, I know, and, and, and I'm, I, 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 I love I love animals, but it, funny enough, I I used to um, when I first left London and moved out to the country, um, I actually didn't ever used to see foxes out in the country. It's only when I moved back into the town that I started to see them all. So, I mean, the, the urban foxes is a probably a completely different character now than, than the, the rural foxes that, that we used to have. But um, I think, yeah, I, I understand your problem. I think that, that you know, foxes can be a problem. And I think that we, again, it's a human problem because what do we do? We tend to feed them, we tend to encourage them. It sounds to me like your neighbour probably quite likes the idea of having foxes in their garden. Um, <laughs> but it, you have to think about your neighbours and think about the impact they have on your on your uh, local surroundings and your local uh, neighbours, etc. Yeah, well, my local vet, you know, my the garden that sort of backs on to mine, she's got this really old staffy, and she said, Anna, you know, there's a rogue fox running around. I said, oh, gosh, that doesn't surprise me. And um, her 10-year-old staffy, three puncture wounds to the head, her partner had to rip the fox off this old staffy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the same vets have had a cat brought in, going off subject a bit, but with half its eye hanging off, which had to go up to the Queen Mother Hospital. And they said, yeah, no, look, another cat didn't do this. This was a fox. So, yeah, the order of things is now changing. But, yes, I think people, do you think it should be mandatory in schools, seeing as the dog population has grown as much as it has? Like, I think it's one in three of us now have a dog, which is great, but it means dogs are really everywhere that you know there should be classes in school about dogs and the benefits they bring to us you know they are man's best friend we wouldn't be here today without the dog bill you know how on earth would our ancestors have brought their sheep to market you know we can't do it we've only got two legs you know the great benefits of dogs that unfortunately due to a minority really which it still is they're allowing dogs to now intimidate you know there's some people locally that when I look at them so I walk my dogs every day twice a day and I observe what goes on you know and I find it interesting Interesting. I think, no, 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 that's the point. You need to focus your dog. And I just wish I could run over to these people and go, no, no, no. Why don't you do it like this? You know, but obviously I don't, but I just watch. And um, But there are some people that I wouldn't, sounds a bit awful, wouldn't necessarily <laughs> say you look like a natural dog owner. And, and they've got dogs that are quite large, Bill. <laughs> 
I think again, it's all about education, Anna. You know, we we see um, we see the popularity of dogs. Dogs become popular for, for, for different reasons, and of course, I think that there are you know big powerful dogs can be attracted by by uh, you know pe people who perhaps should uh, think a little bit more hard about buying when they buy a dog. I think one of the issues that I had encountered as a, as I as I, as I said I have bull miniature bull terriers now, but I used to have bull terriers, and people associate they're a tough looking dog, and and of course. People liked, uh, there was an interest in people having them as a, what we call a status dog. You know, they're having a, a big, powerful dog give that gave them some status. So it meant that as a breeder, I had to be doubly careful where we sold out. They had to ask twice as many questions of people. I wanted to be sure that those dogs, are, um, and of course you can't, people are like dogs you can't judge a, do a person by its appearance no i know that so if a, if um if um you know a shaven headed tattooed man and if if we were doing this interview on on tv you would know that i am a shaven head tattooed man <laughs> uh, but that doesn't necessarily make me a hooligan or a, a necessarily someone who shouldn't have dogs but of course it, it, it's some dogs sometimes dogs and i i often said that my dogs look like me people choose dogs like like look like themselves uh, but of course that that that's those sort of characteristics can be associated with certain types of people and i think that's something that we we have to again it's a response it's a it's about education people need to understand what the good points about dogs they need to understand the bad points about them before they make these choices about buying them what people often um don't realize is the the impact you, you are absolutely right that the number of we, we why do we we talk about dog bites and dog attacks because they are actually very rare. Um, and when you think of the millions of dogs that we have, that there are millions of them are in responsible hands. It's only a very small minority that are in the hands of irresponsible. But it's those irresponsible dog owners and any responsible breeders that actually create problems for us all. They they bring problems. Even even things like dog fouling, people who aren't, don't pick up after their dogs, they will get the, the dog population a poor reputation. So it's again, it's about education and working together to make people understand what they are taking on and what dog ownership means. Do you think we should bring back the dog license? Um, no, I don't, because it, it proved in the past not to be, um, it wasn't financially viable to do so. And I, I think you have to be so careful. I mean, the law is a very blunt instrument when you start to look at bringing laws to control dogs. Um, we've seen a number of examples where they haven't worked. I really don't want to take away that opportunity for people to own dogs because it is um, it, it is a privilege to own dogs, but I don't want to put too many barriers in the way of people because people, they bring so much joy to people's lives. I'm I'm still convinced if we all got together behind a single education message, that, that would, would be a better use of our funds. Um, but I think that a, a dog licence, I suppose I would say the only caveat I would add is if we knew that that dog license funding could be completely ring fenced so that it did actually go back into providing facilities for dogs and for dog owners then I may be a little bit more supportive of it but I think that my worry is that it would just simply become another tax it would become a tax on the responsible dog owners because the irresponsible ones would not get licensed and we know there's limited funds are limited resources for the for enforcement of a dog license so you and i as responsible dog owners would be paying a fee and the fee would go up and up and up and the irresponsible dog owners would not be paying that fee so we would be subsidizing those other owners so 
for those reasons, and I appreciate it's quite a long answer to, to your question, but for those reasons, I think you, we have to be a bit, little bit careful about what we wish for sometimes. Sometimes that can seem like a magic bullet. Oh, yes, make, make people pay. That will actually solve the problem. I think in the case of, unless there was an enforcement regime and the many could be ring-fenced ring to provide facilities of dogs, then I, I'm not sure I would have supported it. Yeah, I know what you mean. It would take a lot, I think. I mean, I think you'd have to centralise the microchipping system as well, which might be great in terms of dog theft. Um, just, you know, I, I would have it like DVLA style and kind of mirror that formula um, that we all have to do with our cars. But yeah, it's it's complicated. But uh yeah, you're right. You know, I mean, I could never imagine my life without a dog. I mean, luckily I grew up with dogs and I, you know, show dogs. I mean, you know, I, oh, my aunt had um, had a Tibetan Spaniel, which was mine, really. My mum bought her from Anne Wynyard, you know, and um, but dad said two dogs was enough in the home and we had uh, gun shy springers and then got a tortoise with one one leg and you know it was a bit like that in my house because um dad was really that was the only thing I had in common with my dad a love for animals because he was desperately right wing and an ex-army officer and everything and so it's a shame you know I regret a lot but um thank god he um taught me about animals and and the joy that they do bring us and that he definitely did I think that's something you do get from your parents. I, I grew up in a household with animals. We had periods of time where we didn't have them, but I was usually had animals in the house. And I think you learn, as a child, you learn so much about animals. You learn respect for them. You learn that they are sentient beings and they have got feelings and they can teach us an awful lot. Um, I'm always... Um, I, I think I often have more empathy with people who have had animals than people who haven't got animals. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, my aunt taught me this. Never trust anyone who doesn't like dogs or who doesn't drink. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll say no more about the drinking. <laughs> no, I know. There you go. They don't go. They're not together. <laughs> but yes, if you, you know, and that I've set that's been my my motto, my um, my what you call it litmus test uh, through my life. You know, anyone who um doesn't like dogs that's that but bill look thank you so quickly so if people want to enter whether it's a guinea pig a goldfish i think goldfish should be up there you know won't go there with my journey with goldfish but i i love goldfish and how do they how do they do this if they go they go on to the we have a portal on the, on the crafts website if people go to the crafts website the, the key in asda and they will find it and and yes go to the asda website there's lots of information on there as well Brilliant. Well, thank you, Bill. Um, I think I, I might enter Gremlin. You should do. Absolutely should do. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great to speak to you, Anna. That's our show, Mr Binks. What did you think? Yes, it is great that all pets can be celebrated through the Cybercrafts. And what's that? You're right. It is time for Woof of the Week. It is very true to say that it is not a right to have a dog, but indeed it is a privilege. <coughs> well, I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, go on, rate and review the show wherever you tune into your podcasts. Thanks again, of course, to Bill Lambert for joining us today and all the links are in the show notes. Thanks, of course, to Mike Hansen, my producer, for all the music and production as ever. And you find out more about him at Pod People UK. And if you want to find out more about me, I'm just at Anna Webb Dogs. What's that, Mr. Binks? 
Yes, you're right. We will be back in your feed next Sunday. So go on, subscribe. It's free. And that way, you'll never miss a show. Bye for now.